guys. Guys, Joe Rosen, unmute, please. Who is? Hello? Temptation of an immediate pleasure 
in the hope of obtaining a valuable and long-lasting reward in the long term. In other words, delayed gratification describes the processes that the subject undergoes when the subject resists the temptation of an immediate reward in preference for a later reward. Generally, delayed gratification is associated with resisting a smaller but more immediate reward in order to receive a larger and more enduring reward later. That's, that's pretty good. That, that's what faith is. It pretty much sums up every example that we find in Hebrews chapter 11 of what faith looks like when lived out. Every one of these were commended for their faith, and all of them have faith in something forward. So faith is living now in light of a future glory. Uh, living in the victory that Christ has secured for us in the future. Faith believes in a better future. That better future is in Christ. And even if that future is now hidden from our sight, we believe that it's coming and we live according to what we believe. So faith is willing to forego the things of the world in order to gain the treasures of heaven. Faith is the exact opposite of FOMO. Anyway, this is a disease today, fear of missing out. Well, according to the scriptures, we don't have to fear missing out in Christ because we know that our future is secure. We are not going to miss out. So the world has no category for this, this kind of faith. So this, this, this is a different kind of faith than the world would define it. In fact, this kind of faith looks like foolishness to the world. Take, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. We, we preached through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago. And if, if you recall, to live out the Sermon on the Mount in this world would make no sense at all if it wasn't for a preferred future ahead. To say that, that this is it and to live like that is absurd. Let me show you what I mean. So remember the Beatitudes at the first part of the sermon on Mount Ready? Check. Still doesn't work. Matthew chapter 5, the, the uh, If you want to be poor in spirit, 
Nobody wants to be poor in spirit without the fact that it's going to produce for you a kingdom later on. Blessed are those who mourn for what they shall be confident. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Do you see the future orientation to it all? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. <laughs> and so they persecuted the prophets who were before you in the same way. So there is this, this rather future orientation to faith. Every single one of these has a promise attached to it. You live this way now, you receive this promise later. That is the essence of faith. Now unbelief, by contrast to that, lives as though this life is all there is. And if this life is all there is, then we need to fully invest in it. Right? We, we need to, to live in the moment, because this is the only moment that we have. Which means that if we're ever going to be happy, it needs to be here, and it needs to be now. If we're ever going to have a purpose, it needs to be here, and it needs to be now. So why in the world would you ever choose things like meekness and a poverty of spirit, or to be hungered uh, and thirst, or to be persecuted, if this is our best life now? Uh, we would go after instead uh, a life filled with pursuing prosperity and pleasure and power, which seems to be what most of the people in the world are after. We live as though this is all there is. Blessed are the powerful who put themselves first, who indulge in every kind of pleasure, for they shall be satisfied, except that they're not. And so lives the world. Faith says, no, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the world says that's nonsense. That's craziness. Faith is a, a willingness to empty ourselves now for the fullness that we will gain when Christ returns. Faith isn't getting everything you want. Faith isn't saying, well, I believe that you will do this, therefore you must. That's not what faith is. Faith is trusting God to supply the needs that you have, not everything that you want. It says, Lord, here's my life, here's my future, here's my family, here's my career, here's my reputation, here are my finances, here are my plans, my dreams, my kids, my health, here it is, not my will, but yours be done. Well, that's, that's faith. So faith is, is not giving God control. As crazy as that sounds, faith is the realization that God is already in control, yeah. whether you give it to Him or not. And therefore, 
surrender your burdens and everything to this God who's in control because you were never meant to carry them. And so we simply trust God with that. Which makes faith rather simple to understand, but very hard to practice. Very difficult to practice. Because faith involves letting go, and it's really hard to let go. Because it's not. Some of you are walking around uh, life right now like with a backpack filled with burdens. And it's just, it's just weighing you down. And it just feels like you're carrying a, a heaviness. And Christ says, give it to me. Give it to me. You were never meant to carry that. The, the way you will discover what's in your backpack is you can look at your fears, your anxieties, right, your stress indicators. And you can ask the question, what are you holding on to that's causing that in you? What is the reality behind it? What is the source of it? What is the thing behind the thing? So for Sarah, it was to die childless, to leave uh, a lineage that stopped with her. Uh, to be, therefore, forgotten within a generation, right? Uh, it would be like she never even was here. She never lived on earth. Uh, she feared basically not mattering. For Rahab, uh, it was the fear that she would perish under the wrath of God. That, that, that she and her entire household, her family, would die as enemies of the Most High. And, and both of them, therefore, had fear about the future. And what they needed was faith about the future. And what they received was faith about the future. Now let's look at both of them in turn. First, we will look at the faith of Sarah, who's mentioned in verse 11. Verse 11. Let me read it again. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, if there's anyone in Scripture who should make us feel a lot better about our struggles with our own faith, it is Sarah, the wife of, of, the wife of Abraham. The fact that she's included in this list is stunning. Right? She is included in the so-called heroes of the faith, which is remarkable with all things considered. Her faith is not exactly heroic. I'm sure that she was beyond joyful when she learned of God's promise that God gave to her husband Abraham that he was to be the father of a great nation. That her offspring, therefore, would number the stars in the sky, the number of sand uh, on the beach. Her, her, her future, therefore, was secured by a promise. By a promise. And according to the promise of God, her life was going to matter in a, a major way. Right? She's going to be a big player on history's stage. But she was given far beyond all she ever imagined and asked for. She just wanted a, a child. And now she's been 
Well, did she laugh because she doubted that God could have come through, that God could deliver? Of course not. Uh, she doubted that she could deliver. That was the issue. The thought was absurdly humorous to her. She looked at her own aging body and she laughed at the despair and the absurdity of it all. I think so many moms today are carrying around these heavy burdens, these backpacks of shame and regret. children are constantly haunted by what you might have done wrong or what you could have done better. Or you think of your future prospects of life at this point and, and you, you laugh at the absurdity of anything actually getting better than it, than it is because your dreams about the future are now just seem to be a fairy tale wish. The joke. This is not the life that you bargained for. But what we learn about Sarah is this, is that God never asked her to have faith in herself. God never asked us to have faith in ourselves. Our, our worthiness is, is never to be the object of our faith. Our, our goodness and our ability and our, our, our deserving is never to be centered of our faith. Our, our faith is in the future promises of God, not in what we do now. It is that future promise that helps you bear the burdens and the difficulties of an imperfect life. That's the way it works. So as a stranger, uh, excuse me, as strange as it might sound, I think that Sarah lacks faith in herself. And that's actually kind of a form of crime. Crime is not just simply thinking highly of yourself. It can also be thinking lowly of yourself. Because who are you thinking about? Yourself. That's right. So the world's idea of faith is... The opposite of the scripture. The world says you need to have faith in yourself. Right? Just have faith in yourself. That is dumb. That is really dumb, right? Because the Bible makes it clear that we are fallen, we have deceptive hearts, right? We are selfish at the core. Now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Would you put your faith in anyone? You're like, well, you just got to trust me. <clears throat> and you go, okay, this person is sinful. They, they uh, are easily deceived. They're selfish at the core. Are you going to trust that person? Probably not, right? But what if that person is us? What if that person, because the Bible says that it is. And that, that is the nature, the human nature of the fallen self. And so we should never trust, put our faith in 
Speaking of messy faith, let's consider the next woman mentioned in Hebrews 11, Rahab. Rahab, verse 31, by faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, we don't know much about Rahab's 
background, but all we know is the label she wears. Right? Prostitute. Prostitute. She is Rahab the prostitute. For all of history, she's known that way, right? As soon as you hear the word Rahab, what do you think? Prostitute. We should be thinking faith, but we think prostitute. How, how easily it comes uh, with that kind of label and things associated with that. Imagine what she felt on a daily basis. She got jeers. She got lustful looks. She, she got looks of disgust, shame, embarrassment. Men use her. Women hate her. No one is going to seek her for advice on the spiritual life. Right? No one's going to ask her to teach a Sunday school class. Well, we've got a real need here. What do you think? Rahab, she's available. You mean Rahab the prostitute? I don't think so. She is a woman of ill repute. You know what that means? Ill repute means diseased reputation. And we dig in, we, we also find out, we don't know a lot about it, but we also find out at least this much, she has a family. She has a family. She has a mom, she has a dad, she has brothers and sisters. Were they poor? Uh, likely, most likely they were. Was her father unable to work and provide for the family? Was prostitution the only way that she could make enough to support the whole family? And I, I'm not saying that makes it right, because it doesn't. But what if her occupation is born out of desperation instead of deprivation? Jesus saw, uh, when you look at Jesus, Jesus saw the value of every human being. It, Jesus looked past all the labels. Right? Jesus didn't look at labels. He saw a person. He saw a broken soul that needed to be loved and redeemed whenever he looked at anybody. Jesus invited everyone to his table. Matthew 22, 9 and 10, literally, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Isn't that awesome? Okay. We can sit at the Lord's table, whether good or bad. Right? The invitation is not based on our moral excellence. The invitation is not based on whether we are worthy to sit there. He makes us worthy, and then we can sit there. That's the way it works. So the church, therefore, must be a place, but the church has to be a place where the labels are dropped. Past labels. We don't get to define one another by our past labels. Those labels no longer define us. She's not Rahab the prostitute. But Jesus has removed from us all the labels. And if we wear a label, it's the one that he gave us. Mine. Love. 
accept together, united to Christ. Perfect. You know that a church has gone off the rails when it simply starts making up new labels for people. It, it keeps the old labels for those outside the walls, but then it starts making labels for one another within. And how does that reflect the gospel? But, but Christ's table is a place where everyone is welcome, the good and the bad. It's a scandalous table, for sure. Right? Because there, Rahab, the prostitute, sits with Sarah, the woman of faith. Because she's no longer Rahab, the prostitute. She is Rahab, woman of faith. Well, how did that happen? How did that go down? Well, uh, the story is found in the book of Joshua. I love this story. Joshua has sent two spies into Jericho. He said, they're going to check it out. And in God's providence, they end up staying at, at Rahab's place, not because they were looking for a prostitute, because they were looking for a place to hide. And that makes a lot of sense, because it would not be suspicious for two men to stay with Rahab all night long, you know. The word gets out to the king that there are some spies that have come into the city, and there are two men that were seen going to Rahab's place, and so he kind of puts two and two together, and he says, that's, that's them. And so soldiers show up at the door of Rahab, but she has taken the men, these spies, and hidden them on the roof. And the soldiers come, and she says, oh no, those two guys, yeah, they were spies, it was them, but they left. They escaped. You better go after them. You better hurry. Why did she do that? What does she have to gain by doing that? Joshua chapter 2, 8 through 11. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you land. And the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That's why she did it. Out of all of the people in Jericho, God reveals the truth to a prostitute. The name Jericho uh, is derived from the name. Yerika, uh, which is the pagan, which was a pagan moon god. So the city of Jericho was named after a pagan god. And, and so that gives you an idea of the religion within the walls of Jericho. And yet this woman of diseased reputation among pagans of all things is declared righteous by faith. And she says, the Lord he is God. Your Lord, He is God in the heavens and above 
be the earth. The only way she could ever make that confession is by the grace of God. God in his, his mercy, sovereign mercy, chose Rahab, chose Rahab to be his beloved daughter in the faith. His choice of her had nothing to do with her. Her worthiness, obviously, right? It was it had nothing to do with her spirituality. She's pagan. It had nothing to do with her moral standards. She's prostitute. It was simply grace. It always is. Now, it, it's one thing to say that the God of Israel, God, He is God, your, your God is God. It, it's a whole other thing for our confession to be confirmed by our life. And that's what faith does. That's where faith comes in. Faith is a confession confirmed. And so at the risk of her own life, she helps the spies then to escape. And she lowers them through a window because the Bible says that her house is built into the wall of the city. Joshua 2, 12-13 tells us this. Now before she lets them go, before she helps them escape, she has this request. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from Rahab may not have had her own children, we don't know, but she, she seems to be a, a mother to her siblings, and she pleads for their salvation, and that of her parents. She saw the writing on the wall, right? It's a dangerous time to be in Jericho. Literally, the writing on the wall. I didn't realize how funny that was, so just now. She, she not only feared for her own life, but she feared for the life of her, her family. The future was a scary place for her in Jericho. Much like it is today for so many. It's terrifying out there, right? It doesn't seem like you can do any, you go anywhere today that's safe. Sending kids to school, that's terrifying. You go to the mall on the weekend. That's not terrifying. It's not just the shooters, right? It, it's the, the culture out there. It, it's cultural expectations and gender dysphoria and bullying and, and drugs and sex trafficking. And just no wonder our young people and teenagers are filled with so much angst and depression. Yesterday I was at, at the grocery store was leaving in the parking lot and uh, there was a woman that was getting out of her car and she looked exasperated. She was like, ah. I was like, you okay? She goes, oh, man, it's just crazy out there. And uh, just got out of the store and I was like, it's crazy in there. I said, I guess it's Mother's Day. And she goes, it's not. I'm sure that's part of it. But I mean, just the world is crazy. And she was she was a grandmother. And she said, "I, I this is a parking lot with a random 
stranger, right? And, and she says, I am terrified of my five-year-old granddaughter going to school. There we go. She said, in the town that I live, there were 17 shootings in that old town last year. And I was just like, oh my goodness. And she has she, she comes to the grocery store exhausted and on edge because of the world that she lives in. And that's the world that we all live in today. It's terrible. And, and I really believe that our best response to all of it is to plead with God for the salvation of our families. Pray to God have his hand on them. Pray that God would have his spirit within them. Those of us who have already raised our kids, we need to partner with uh, the younger parents these days in prayer. And we got to pray as well. I've said this before, right, but, but the church is a family, then, then their kids are part of the family. We're, we're kind of spiritual grandparents. And we have the, the job and the responsibility uh, and the joy of, of coming alongside these parents and just, just praying for them. Just praying for them. We, we hold the rope to the next generation. So, the spies promised that they would spare Rahab and her family. But there was one condition. She had to tie a cord in the windowsill. A scarlet cord. Now before I get to the scarlet cord, I want to give you a little interesting archaeological fact. Because if you're thinking, uh, it might have occurred to you that the story of Jericho, what happened to the walls? They all fell down. Where was her house? In the wall. So how's that work? Well, there was a uh, an archaeological dig that took place in uh, happened in 1907 uh, between 1907 and 1909. It was a German excavation, and and they found on the north side of the city. As they were going through this excavation, they, they noticed that, in fact, the, the biblical account uh, was, was proven by the archaeology. And so the walls of Jericho, they found them, there was not like they were crumbled. It wasn't a brick on top of one another, but there was one, there was one section made of mud brick that still stood, and that section had houses that were, were built onto that one small section that, that stood, that remained. They found that in 1907, German excavation. So that tells us that the whole wall fell except for this one section where it was most likely that's where Rahab's house and the other houses were probably that other thing. Awesome. She ties the, the ribbon and says, God destroyed my house. The Israelites never destroyed anything. They just marched. 
If you were here two weeks ago, you saw that there's a scarlet thread that weaves throughout the entire Bible. Right? It's a thread. By a scarlet thread, it means the, the revelation of Jesus Christ crucified runs throughout the Scripture. We find the cross, the blood of Jesus in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In, in every story of faith, therefore in Hebrews chapter 11, there is a red scarlet thread that runs through it. Every one of these stories points to Jesus and the cross. We looked at several last time. These two stories are no exception to that. The story of Sarah is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God gave her wasn't fulfilled by Jacob. It was fulfilled by Jesus. The heirs of the promise are all who believe in Christ by faith. That's all of us. Romans 4.13 says it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. But we can never be saved by faith in ourselves. Right? We can never be saved by our own goodness, our own righteousness, but we have the righteousness that comes by faith alone, in Christ alone. Sarah, therefore, is the mother of all who trust in Jesus by faith. That's the promise. That's the promise. And if we keep following the scarlet thread in the pages of the Bible, we eventually come to the book of Joshua. And there we find a literal scarlet thread. A literal scarlet thread. We saw the scarlet thread in the Bible because God said, use, they told her, use a scarlet thread. Why scarlet? All of Rehab's household was to be saved from the wrath of God when they saw the scarlet thread, Joshua 6 took this out. 20 through 25. So the people shouted. This is when the wall came down. And the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted. Got to stay by the mic. Shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up to the city, every man straight before him. The captain of the city. They devoted all the city to destruction. Both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. And they're just everything, raising everything. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman who belonged to her, as you swore to her. So the young man who had, heard, who had uh, been spies again and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, and brothers, and all who belonged to her, and they brought her. Their relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. When they burned the city with fire, so the walls fell and they burned everything inside, everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab and the prostitute in her father's house and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. She has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out. 
So, there is this complete, utter destruction of Jericho. I mean, complete, total scorched earth devastation. In fact, one of these, these archaeologists later on who discovered the ruins of Jericho described what she found like this. Check out. The destruction was complete. Walls and floors were blackened or reddened by fire. Every room was filled with fallen bricks, timbers, and household utensils. In most rooms, the fallen debris was heavily burnt. But the collapse of the walls of the eastern room seemed to have taken place before they were affected by fire. Exactly. In the exact same way. And God sees the blood of Christ over us. We are spared from the fire. We are spared from the destruction. We are spared from the wrath of God. And awesome. Great news. He sees around us the star of Hide there by Jesus takes off the labels that others have tied around our neck. Some of them we've earned. He takes them off anyway, and he ties a scorned card, and he says, Mine. This one belongs to me. Do not touch me. This one gets saved. But there's more to the story. There's even more. Because when we read of Matthew, Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, we find something really rare in ancient genealogies, and that's the mention of women. One of the women in Jesus' genealogy was a woman who happened to be named Rahab. <coughs> Why is that significant? Well, we saw that Rahab, she was like, your God is gone, and then they took her, and it says they put her outside the camp, and then we kind of read through the lines, and it said that, well, she lived in Israel, so she moved from outside the camp into Israel itself, but she became a really big, important history person in Israel. Check it out. Matthew chapter 1, 5 and 6. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. <laughs> what that says is that Rahab was the great, great, great grandmother of King David. King David. And you talk about a turnaround. She was a, a pagan prostitute who is now the great, great, great grandmother of the king. King David, who initiated the throne on which Christ would ultimately sit. That's an image. That's what faith accomplished. Talk about a turnaround. You talk about a future transformed by God that has been made glorious. And so I ask you, have you trusted Jesus with your future? And, 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 you know, people say, well, yeah, you know, when I was four, I, I prayed this prayer that I would, I would, you know, when they go to heaven. So I got that taken care of. But does the 
that reality affect any way that you're living right now? Because that's what faith is. Faith is not just when I prayed for prayer and got my, my insurance coverage checked. But faith is my hope is Jesus, my future is Jesus, and I walk by now based on that future. We don't lose Christ to die as yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your consistent grace to us. And we thank you, Father, that you uh, deliver uh, to us this grace, not based on whether we were bad or good, but because Jesus was.